Hey, Laypoint Church, good morning. We are so glad that you could join us uh, online today, this morning, from wherever you may be. You may be up north at a cabin. You might be at home. You might be uh, in, in the south somewhere. But wherever you are, thank you for tuning in, for watching us and joining us live uh, this morning uh, as we worship together at Lake Point Church. And, um, and, and today we just thought it would be wise that we should take a post-holiday break, a post-holiday break. Um, many of us were around families and friends this past week, um, you know, maybe your college uh, son or your college daughter came to visit you, and, and, um, and, and because Thanksgiving was so close to um, today, um, we just didn't want to take a chance. It could be probably be a high risk. Um, a lot of it around people, uh, maybe went shopping on Friday and Saturday, we were out and about, and you feel good today. And the fear was that we would get a dozen phone calls on Tuesday. Uh, oh man, I got the uh, I got uh, the virus, and then we had you know exposed you know that everybody we, we had too many here at the church on you know, today, if we were to gather, and then we would have had to shut the building down for two weeks because of, of, of the outbreak. And so we just trying to be wise. You know, we, we figured it was going to happen, you know, uh, with all, all of us gathering with families and friends. And, uh, and I pray, really, I pray that you had a great Thanksgiving. And, um, you know, I, I love Thanksgiving. I love food. I got my turkey pants on today. Okay, I, I, you know, still trying to digest the great food that I ate this past week. And I, I hope that you were able to make some memory uh, and, and to have a, a great, great Thanksgiving. And, and the plan is next Sunday, we're back to worshiping here in the service, you know, three services at 9 o'clock, 10.30, and noon. In fact, you can, on our handout, we have a digital handout. And, uh, and you can type the word handout to the number on the screen here below. Um, and you can type that word handout. And there's a link for next Sunday's service. And you can reserve your worship time. Let us know that you're coming. You can do that today. And so take a look at that and, and uh, let us know if you're planning to be here next Sunday. Kicking off a brand new message series called Simply Christmas. Simply Christmas, and we're just going to talk about Christmas in its raw uh, element. And, um, and, and this year, with all the Christmas and a lot of the things that's going on, um, everything being simplified, the one thing that can't be taken away from us is the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And uh, what an opportunity this Christmas season to really reflect on the birth of Jesus. And so that's starting next Sunday. And uh, whether you're here with us in the building or you're online, I hope you'll join us as we kick off a brand new message series. And so, um, yeah, so this is the time of Thanksgiving, right? Time for gratefulness, a time to, you know, a time of gratitude. And, and here's the deal. Um, when we're not grateful, when we're not uh, living a life of thankfulness or gratitude, uh, it tends to take us in a wrong direction with our mindset, with our heart. It takes us to a place of worries and anxiousness. It can even take us to a path of depression. And, and, and so today, I want to talk about, I want to talk about with you how to live an interest-free life. How to live an interest-free life. And we're going to look in a great letter, a great book in the New Testament, with a letter written by the Apostle Paul, the letter of Philippians, written to the churches of Philippi. Now, let me give you the backdrop to this letter. So important for you to understand. You see, Paul, all his ministry life, he had a heart desire to one day end up in Rome to preach 
and the minister to Rome. And, and so that was his heart desire. And when he wrote the, the letter of Philippians, Paul is in Rome, but he's not what he thought he would be. In fact, he is in prison, chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day, and with, with his outcome, with a lot of uncertainties, you can imagine if anyone could be anxious, it would be Paul. Because here he is, he's not sure what's going to happen. He's not sure if he'll see the light of day again, if he will come out alive or dead. But under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, he wrote this amazing letter. And so I want you to understand, I want you to see his perspective. He's not on the beach with a little drink and an umbrella in it, you know, and a hammock, hammock somewhere, you know, just relaxing, you know, toes in the sand. That's not where he's at writing this letter. He's in prison. He's in prison. And he writes in Philippians chapter 4, I want you to pick up the letter here in verse number 4, and it's amazing. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Now, I think it's important, by the way, that whenever uh, you're with a spouse or, or, or maybe when you were little, you know, your parents, you know, when they repeat something, when they repeat something a couple of times, um, that it's something that they want you to hear that's very, very important. In case you didn't hear it the first time, I'm going to say it again a second time. And, and, and so Paul is like this. This is very, very important. In case you didn't, in case you speed read through my letter and don't get it, I'm going to say it twice. And he said, rejoice. I'm going to say it again. Rejoice always. Rejoice. And the Greek word, if you're taking notes, and, and, and hopefully you got those handout notes, um, you got it through the program, you know, or the handout, I, I hope you found that. But the Greek word for rejoice is this word Cairo. Cairo. It, it means to be glad. It means to be happy, to be glad, which would make sense. But there's a beautiful truth that's a little bit deeper than this word. You see, there's a root word in the Greek language. The root word for Cairo is the word charis. Charis. We get the word charisma from this. It literally means grace. God's unmerited favor. That's the root word of the word rejoice. It's all connected. You see, here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, man, I can rejoice. I can have joy in my life, not because of my circumstances, but because of who joy is in my life. Remember, I, I talked about this earlier this year, that joy is not a feeling, but that joy is a person. And it's naming Jesus. And so it's all a beautiful picture, a beautiful connection with rejoice, connected to the word grace, Cairo, and Charis. It's connected. And Paul got joy, deep, satisfying joy in the middle of his circumstances. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Verse 5, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Man, I love that. Paul's saying, you know what? God's not gone. In the middle of me in this prison, in the middle of the pandemic, in the middle of a shutdown, God is still near. He is still close. We're going to talk about that phrase, the Lord is near. 
toward it in the next message. We're going to come back to that. But look on. He said in verse number six, he said, do not be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. I mean, that's a tough one, isn't it? Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. The word anxious in the Greek language, uh, the basic definition actually means what you think it is. It means to worry uh, or to be concerned. But even more beautifully, the Greek language have another word picture on it. And it literally means, the word anxious literally means to be pulled apart in many different directions. To be pulled apart in many different directions. Let me ask you a question. Do you feel pulled apart? Maybe recently, right now, do you feel like you're pulled apart in the many different directions? You say, man, God, I, you know, the apostle Paul said, don't be anxious for nothing. And you're like, man, is that even possible? Is it possible not to be anxious in a world that we're living in with all that's going on? Not to be anxious for anything? And listen, we're anxious about all sorts of things, aren't we? My friend, I submit to you that there's a real pandemic that's deeper than the virus. It's called a pandemic of anxiety. And the people of God, my prayer is that the people of God, that we would flatten the curve of this dreaded emotion, this dreaded idea of worrying and anxiety. And I pray that this message today will speak to all of our hearts and will challenge us. Paul said, can I be anxious for anything? And Paul said, don't be pulled apart. He said in verse number six, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Wow. Here's what Paul's saying. He said, listen, I'm in prison here. I get it. I'm locked up. But you know what? My circumstances doesn't dictate my ability to rejoice and to be thankful for the moment. Thankful. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for what I have. And verse number seven, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Oh, peace. Peace. Doesn't that sound good? Peace. The idea of peace. Here's the thing. The word for peace in the Greek language is the opposite word for anxious, for anxiety. The opposite. It literally means, it literally means to be made whole, to be complete. Anxious, to be pulled apart in many different directions. Peace, to be made whole. Peace, it's a gift from God, and it comes from being made whole. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I got a friend who's uh, a counselor, and I was talking to the counselor, and I, and I, and I asked, I said, this year, 2020, what has seemed to be the number one issue that you've been dealing with? Uh, and here's what the counselor said. So Scott, this year I have been dealing more with anxiety. We've been helping more people this year. It is an uptick, a surge of anxiety and worry and even depression. And I, by, you know, depression's everywhere. You know, part of my prayers here, I've been praying for you. I've been praying for our church, our community, our country. I've been praying for our world, for their mental state of mind, for their anxiety. Because anxiety people are through the roof right now. Maybe that's where you're at right now this morning. You're sitting where you're at. You're full of anxiousness. You're so full of anxiety. And, and, and here's what I've learned. 
depression, anxiety, anxiousness. It can happen to anyone, anywhere, anyone. I, I've got, I know pastors. I know pastors right now they are struggling with depression. Depression. It can happen to anyone, anywhere, at any time. Now I know, and I realize there, there may be different stages of anxiety. You know, there may be a stage one anxiety where that, I think that all of us can at least be a stage one. We all have some type of worries and concerns from time to time. We all worry. We all been there. And some, for some of us, we're at stage one. And I realize there may be some that are maybe you're at a stage five. And perhaps I'm talking to some, you're, you're over here at stage ten. You're, you're where, where we call, you're in a, in a state of depression. And, and I want to be very clear, this message today, I'm not going to, I'm going to give us a spiritual solution. You know, and I, I'm going to give us a, a holistic solution to this idea of anxiety. I also want to say that there may be more Especially if you're over here, closer to an eight or nine or ten, there may be more that you need to do, and I'm going to, I'm going to challenge you to do that. See a therapist, a counselor. Uh, you may need someone to, to prescribe a prescription. I can't do that. You know, you don't want me to do that. The only thing I can do today is to prescribe spiritual truth to everyone, and I believe that what we're going to talk about today can help you. No matter where you're at, they just understand that, you know, the higher your number, the, the more that you might need to add more to this, and uh, with the foundation of the Word of God. And, and so, um, we're going to talk about this, and in fact, I want to talk about a man in the Old Testament that went from a, maybe a stage one to a stage ten, like that. His name is Elijah. The Old Testament prophet. Elijah loved God. He'd seen the faithfulness of God, the power of God, the provision of God. And yet, with all of these things that he saw and witnessed, he still struggled with deep anxiety. Now, if you don't know the story of Elijah, you know, Elijah was the prophet, and he confronted a very evil king named King Ahab. He called him out on his sin, and the sins of the country of Israel. They were worshiping the false god of Baal. And, and, and so he punished, he prophesied, he prophesied to Ahab that God would bring a punishment of a three-year drought. And it happened. They had three-year painful drought. They, they suffered economically. They suffered, uh, you know, in the way of health and food and, 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 and all the provision that they needed. Three years of drought. And King Ahab, man, he was mad. He was angry. He came after the prophet Elijah with the force of his army. Chased him down. He said, man, we're going to come after you. We're going to destroy you. And, and for three years, Elijah ran. He ran. He hid. And yet the whole time, God was faithful. God took care of him. He, he would provide food. No, God would send the birds to send food to Elijah in the middle of a dry place to take care of him. Meanwhile, this whole time, while he was hiding and running, He's doing miracles upon miracles, raising people from the dead, providing oil for a, a widow lady and her two sons, and, 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 and a, a great miracle there. I mean, God was just working in his life. And there's a climate to the story uh, in 1 Kings chapter 18 where uh, Elijah stood up against 850 false prophets. Of Baal, on top of a mountain called Mount Carmel. And there was a showdown. I mean, this is awesome. Elijah, by himself, one guy 
against 850 prophets. I don't know what you think about that, but to me, Elijah, that's pretty cocky, you know, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I mean, that is pretty awesome. And he stood them down. Fire came down from heaven on behalf of Elijah, and then Elijah took out all 850 prophets. It was an amazing, amazing a mountaintop experience in the life of Elijah because God showed up and showed out in a powerful way. And then, after all the power of God, miracles after miracles after miracles, one grumpy woman changed everything. See, King Ahab as evil as he was. He had a wife. He had a wife that made King Ahab look like Mother Teresa. Her name was Jezebel. In fact, she's the one that introduced the religion of Baalism in Israelites, in Israel at this time. And, and, and she was so mad when she found out that Elijah destroyed 850 prophets. She was so angry. Look at Elijah. He looked at her husband Ahab and said, Honey, if you can't get the job done, then let a woman get it done right. I am going to destroy him. And immediately, Jezebel, he put out the most the wanted, you know, the most wanted posters all throughout the kingdom. Wanted. You know, Elijah. Dead or even more dead. He didn't even want him alive. He was so angry. And at this moment, Elijah falls apart. Falls apart. He is sent into a spiral of a deep, deep depression. A, a stage 10 depression. You could be on the mountaintop, right, in one moment. And, and you could be in the dumps the next minute. You know, on Sundays, sometimes, you know, a lot of times on Sundays, for me personally, I, I can experience the God, the power of God. I mean, when I preach on Sunday morning, you know, and I get to see life change. Man, I'm on the mountaintop. Man, it's awesome. I get to witness. I get the front seat row of the power of God working through the life of our church. And I love every second of it. I get to go home and get a, a, a quick power nap, and then I'm back up here at the church on Sunday night dropping off my son to youth. I pop in and hang out with the youth for a few minutes, see what's going on there. I get to see what God is doing to our teenagers. I got my life group that I attend on Sunday night. And I go to my life group and I get to hang out with other men, and uh, we get to pray for each other, encourage each other, and learn the Bible together. Hey, man, Sunday night, you know, I, I'm, I'm on a mountaintop. It's awesome. But then, Monday happens. Not every Monday, but every now and then. I get a Monday. I, I, I would call it a holy hangover. <laughs> a holy hangover. Well, I can, man, I was on the mountain one minute on Sunday, and I'm in the dumps on Monday. And all it takes, all it takes is one negative thought. All it takes is one negative email or one negative phone call signed by anonymous. You know, uh, that email signed by anonymous. And, 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 and all it takes to go from a mountaintop to, for me, to be in a dump on a Monday morning. Uh, look at Elijah. Now, in 1 Kings chapter 18, he's walking with God. Unbelievable faith. Great victory. He's on the mountaintop. Fire calm down. Chapter 19, faith replaced with fear. Fear of his circumstances. I want you to see what happens in chapter 19 about Elijah. He's in this deep 
place of anxiety and depression. The four mistakes that he made, the four mistakes that you and I can make. So let's pick up the story in First Kings chapter 19. By the way, in verse 1 and 2, that's when Jezebel put out the water, you know, the water poster, dead or more dead. I want him dead. Uh, he is, she is so angry. And so in verse 3, the Bible says that Elijah was afraid. In, in other words, he's freaking out. This, he had a, he's experiencing a very deep uh, anxiety at this moment. He, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When it came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a boom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. Now, no, no, first of all, notice how irrational this is. Notice how irrational. His biggest fear was that she was going to kill him. Now he's praying to God, I just want to die. It didn't even make sense. He, I mean, he's struggling here. He, he, when you're in a, in a state of depression, sometimes decision in your mindset is not in a rational place. And so what did he say? Look, he said this, and he said the same thing that some of you might have said. He said, I've had enough, Lord. I've had enough. He said, take my life. I am, I am no better than my ancestors. And some of, you, some of you right now, you might be in that mindset. God, I can't take it anymore. God, I, I've done everything I can. I'm trying to pay the bills. And one more thing breaks. I'm, I'm just, I just can't handle it. I've had it. Some of you in a relationship, and, and you're trying, and you're trying, and you're trying, and, and, and he or she keeps deceiving you, and you, you just, you're at the point where you, you're just saying, man, I've had enough. I've had it. I can't take it anymore. And some of you, it, it's your schedule. You know, you're working, you're working, and you're trying everything. And, or maybe you're a single mom or a single dad, and you're just trying to juggle everything, and there's just not enough time in the day to get what you need to get done. And you're just like, man, I've had enough. I just can't take it anymore. And Elijah, he just couldn't take it anymore. He was being pulled apart, anxious, worried, depressed. And what did he, what, how did he get there? What was the point of depression? How did he get to that place? I said there were four mistakes. I want you to take notes. These four mistakes, maybe you can recognize one of these mistakes in your life, maybe more than one. Here's the first thing, and we all have done this. We tend to do this when we've had enough, and that is we run ourselves into the ground. That's the first mistake. We, we run ourselves into the ground. The Bible said, you know, go back to the story, you know, he ran for his life. Remember that? He ran. He ran to Beersheba. Now, if you don't know the geography of this, uh, Beersheba is about as far as you can go before you hit the water. You, know, you, can't, go any, you can't go any further than Beersheba. In fact, he ran a hundred miles. Elijah ran a hundred miles, just like that. That's, that's four marathons. He ran that in a few days. He ran himself out. He exhausted himself out. And some of you right now, you're in a real season of anxiety. And maybe something you can look at is look at your own schedule. Look at what you've been putting into it. Maybe there's some things you need to reprioritize. Maybe your priority is not where it should be, and you have just been running on empty. You have run yourself out. You have exhausted yourself. And that always will put you in a dark place. You can only last for so long, running and running and running. And so Elijah, he ran himself into the ground. Maybe that's where you're at. You've run yourself into the ground. It's the second mistake. Elijah shut people out. And sometimes we shut people out. 
We shut people out. Elijah, if you notice in, the, in, the, in our passage we just read, he left his servant, his loyal, trusted friend. He left him. He said, I don't need you anymore. And he made himself alone. He isolated himself. Part of the reasons why our numbers of depression and anxiety is through the roof this year is because of the isolation that we've had. That we, we have been away from physical human beings. And we feel trapped by ourselves. And Elijah, he went off on his own. And, and for some of you right now, this is where you are. You're like, man, I'm not going to tell anybody I'm hurting. I, I'm not going to, I'm just going to push through this. I'm going to push through this struggle on my own. Maybe you had a, maybe you had a five or six. He said, no, I got this. I don't, I don't need anybody. I, I can do this on my own. Or I'm not going to let anybody in my life. I've done that before. I got burned. I'll think twice before I ever let somebody else in. Because I felt the pain of being burned once. And so you shut people out. That's why life groups here at Lake Point is so important. Well, we're kind of winding down our seasons and and this season, we've been, a lot of our life groups started together and we kind of migrated, a lot of them migrated to <laughs> Zoom, you know, to some degree, or we're, we're trying to figure that out, but we're trying to stay connected. We're trying to wind that down, and in January, we start uh, promoting new groups. And, uh, and we're, we're going to try to be strategic on what that life group looks like. But here, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, be a part of one. You need to do life with others. Don't isolate yourself. The third mistake of Elijah is he focused on the negative. And we do that too. We focus on the negative. He said, man, God, I've had enough. I'm no better than my fathers. I'm no better than my mother. I'm no better than my ancestors. And this is the very thing we often do. We focus on the negative. We say, you know, God, my life is so hard. I can never get it all done. Just too much. I just can't stand all these people. I don't like my jobs. I, I don't like where I'm going. I'm always going to suffer. I'm always going to struggle. I'm always going to be broke. I'm never going to be happy. We're always going to be hurting. We focus on negative, negative, negative. We, we're critical. We're complaining. By the way, one of the reasons why you may not have any friends and people that want to be around you, it's because you're mixed with negativity. No one wants to be around negative people. And if you're always being negative about everything, it's hard to get friends. It's hard to get connected with other people. I know I got to be around positive people. And I want to be around people that are positive, people that can lift me up. I want to be around people that always can be negative. And we tend to be negative. We, we tend to be negative. And I'd say we need to start focusing on the positive. But negativity will take you to a dark place, make you anxious. But number four, perhaps this is the biggest mistake of Elijah, and that is we forget God. We forget God. I mean, every step of Elijah's life, every moment of his life, God was ever present, ever faithful. His power was so visible. God's provision was so real. And even though God had been faithful, Elijah did what many of us do. Elijah did what most of us do sometimes. And that is this. Elijah was facing his problems while forgetting his God. Elijah was facing his problems without remembering who God is in his life. And here's what's crazy about this. Elijah's name alone, it should have been enough to comfort him in the middle of his anxiety. I mean, his name alone, Elijah, 
E L I J A H. Let me break it up for you. E L. E L. It's the shortened Hebrew name of God, Elohim. Elohim. The first part of his name represents God. E L I. The letter I means I or my. Same idea. And then the last three letters of his name, J-A-H, Shah. It's a shortened Hebrew name for the word of God, Jehovah, Yahweh. You would also say it like this sometimes, Yah. The Hebrew would pronounce it Yah. In fact, they, would, they were so careful sometimes pronouncing the name Yahweh, that they would drop the syllables. They didn't feel like saying the whole name of God that they were worthy enough to say it. So they were just, yeah. Yeah. And when people heard that, they understand what that person was saying. So he's talking about the most holiest of names. And so you could say that Elijah's name literally means, it literally means that my God is Yahweh. My God is Yahweh. My God is my source. My God is my strength. My God is my sustainer. My God is my breath. He's with me. His name alone was with Elijah. And yet he forgets about it. He forgets about God in his life and he falls apart. So what did God do in this moment? Did God say, get up, oh ye of little faith? What are you doing? No, not what God did. God, God met Elijah in his need. We'll show you how God revealed himself to him. In fact, Elijah was in the funk for 40 days. He traveled another 200 miles after he got to Beersheba. He wandered in the wilderness for another 200 miles for the next 40 days. And he finds himself after 40 days at Mount Horeb. The other name for Mount Horeb is Mount Sinai. We call it the mountain of God. This is where Moses got the Ten Commandments. But a lot of powerful things have happened at Mount Sinai. And this is where Elijah's at. He finds a cave. He's camping out. And we pick up the story here in verse number 9. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing? And Elijah said, man, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophet to death with the sword. And I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. And listen, he focused on the negative. He believed in a lie. He wasn't the only prophet left. There were hundreds of more prophets still alive. God had to remind him that later on. Uh, he wasn't the only one left. But he's still focused on the negative. He's in a dark place. He's anxious. And the Lord said in verse 11, said, Elijah, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. So Elijah goes to the side of the mountain. The Bible said a great, powerful wind. A tornado, right? It tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, came a gentle whisper. 
we find out that the Lord was in the whisper. You know, the earth shook, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. The wind howled. The Lord wasn't in the wind. The fire raged, but the fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. But the Lord was in the whisper. See, God was not in the remarkable. God was in the ordinary. In the ordinary. The Lord was in the breath. The Lord. The Lord was near. Close. You know, when we're hurting, when we're afraid, when we're overwhelmed. Now, why didn't God sometimes not uh, speak in loud ways? It's because he doesn't have to. He's right here. He doesn't have to yell at us because he's right here. He whispered to us. He's near us. Why does our God whisper? He whispered to draw us closer to him. He, he whispered because he's close. God may have to speak a little bit louder for me because I'm 80% deaf. But he's in. He's whispering. He's not whispering, whispering from a distance. He's not some distant God, you know, who doesn't care. Oh, no. He's near. God is in the whisper, in the breath. What is God whispering? He's whispering, Scott. Scott, there's no storm that I won't bring you through. Scott, hey, there, there's no op the obstacles that I will help you overcome. Hey, Scott, there's no enemy that I won't defeat. Hey, Scott, there are no heartaches that I won't heal. Wait for The Lord is near. He doesn't have to shout in a loud voice because he's near. He wants to draw close to him. My friend, when anxiety starts to hit, there's two things I want us to remember. Two quick thoughts, and then we're done. And I hope you remember that. Here's the first thought. Anxiety is a signal alerting you that it's a time to pray. Kind of takes you back to Philippians a little bit. Don't be anxious for anything, but in prayer and supplication and petition, bring your need before God. Alert. It's a signal. Anxiety is signaling you. It's alerting you that, hey, it's time, it's time to pray. It's time to pray. Time to get on your knees before God and pray. It's telling you. Just like when your car, the light come on and the angel light come on and telling you, hey, you better get this fit. That's what anxiety is. It's a signal for you to pray. And here's the second thought. If it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. Whether it's a one or a ten, if it's big enough to worry about, for sure, it's big enough to pray about. There is no worry too small. There are, wor there are no worries too great that you can't take it to God and give it to him. Peter, he wrote this, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 6. He said, humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand. He's recognizing the power of God. He said, man, you just humble yourself. Get, drop your ego, drop your idea that you've got to do this by yourself while you're being pulled apart in many different directions. It's to humble yourself, realize that you are not God, and recognize that you have a God who is much bigger than all the world problems combined. He said, humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. What is due time? That's his time, not your time. Sometimes we want it now, but God said, listen, 
I have a plan, I have a purpose, and it's going to come through in due time. In due time. In verse number seven, he said, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He's near. God, like I said, he's not some distant God. He didn't, he, he didn't spin this cosmos into a distant walkway like a spinning uh, cosmic top. And how it goes, it goes, where it falls, it falls. No, God is not that God. He's new. I love the word in verse number seven when it's a cast. Cast. Here's what that means. It means... Not, not a softball throw. Because if it's a softball throw, if you catch your anxiety, that means you can get it back. The word cash in the original language literally means to throw it as far as you can throw it where you can't find it no more. God doesn't want you to go chase after those anxieties, your worries, your concerns. He wants you to cast it so far away. Because you're giving it to him. You see, this is what we do. We pray to God and say, God, here's my problems, here's my burdens, here's my worries. And we give it to God, and then about an hour later, we get it back. And God doesn't want us to take it back. He wants us to give it to him. And leave it there. Cast all your anxiety on him. Because he cares for you. If it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough for him to handle it. I promise. Our God is a mighty God. The goodness of God will always carry us through. The goodness of God is always faithful. He never leaves us. He'll never forsake us. Because he's only a breath away from you and me. He is near. He is our strength. He is our sustainer. He is our source. Verse 7, the peace of God will transcend all of our understanding. We will be made whole. We will be made complete. And it will guard your hearts and your minds and your souls in Christ Jesus. Why does he whisper? He whisper because he close. The Lord is near. Wherever you might be from a one to a ten, the Lord is near. And I pray that you would, maybe there's some things you need to change. Maybe there's a mistake that you would recognize. You say, you know what? I need to reach out to somebody. I need to get reconnected. I need to talk to a, a person. I'm too isolated. I, I, I stop being so negative. Or I need to reprioritize my schedule. Or, or I need to get back in the Word of God and remembering who God is in my life. I need to do these things so that I can live a life free of anxiety. And when they do come, we can give it to God. We can give it to God. We can cast it and give it all to Him because He cares for you. Our Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. God, I'm not sure who's listening today. God, I pray that today, whoever they might be, whether they have a level one worry in their life or a level 10 depression in their life, God, I pray that they look at the scriptures and realize that you're in the whisper, that you're in the breath, that you are near. So God, I pray we come to you with broken hearts and heavy hearts. We come to you. God, I know that this, this may be a process. 
and realize that when we turn off this, this, the online service in a few minutes, that may not all just come together all at once. And God understand that. And if there are some of us who are in deep, in a, in a deep state of anxiety and depression, God, I pray that they would do more than what we just talked about, that they would reach out to a counselor, a therapist, and have real conversation. Let somebody in that they can help. And so God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can rejoice in the middle of our circumstances, good or bad. Because joy is more than a feeling. Joy is a person. And his name is Jesus. Thank you for the, thank you for the word. Thank you for this message. In Jesus' name, amen. I thank you for watching us today. And uh, this Sunday coming up, next Sunday, we'll be back in the service, in the worship service. Uh, Lord willing, we plan to be back here worshiping in-person gathering. And um, we'll also be online at 9 o'clock and 10.30 only. 9 o'clock and 10.30. And, uh, but we look forward to worshiping with you next Sunday as we launch a brand new message series. Also, if you'd like to give, you can give online or you can mail it to the church and uh, we can um, make sure that we take care uh, of, those, um, of your giving and put it where it needs to be. And uh, so you can give online, you can uh, mail it to the church, you can come by the church this week, drop it by, we'll be open all week as well. And um, we'll look forward to seeing you next Sunday. We're going to talk about, you know, a recap from this past week with our Thanksgiving food drive and on Monday we had a great, great day and I can't wait to talk about the blessing next Sunday with you here at Lake Point Church. And uh, if you need anything, if you need anything, email us, call us. Uh, if, you, if there's anything we can do for you, uh, if you're in need of anything, please don't hesitate. Reach out to us. Let us know that, uh, I want you to know that we're here. We're available. We'll do whatever it takes to help you. God bless you. Have a great day.